Hello there, I'm Brian Taylor. Down the years you may have seen me on the telly or heard me on the wireless, but this is different. This is the Brian Taylor podcast brought to you by The Herald. In today's episode... The best people in our in our health services are the doctors and nurses on the ground, and they want to get on with their jobs uh, in the way because they're the ones that have the professional training to do that. As a livestock farmer, if you've got a virus in amongst your stock, really difficult to pick out the ones that's got it, particularly when they're asymptomatic and they don't show it. As a woman, as a disabled woman, and for trans people, trans women, it's always worrying when you think that your rights are going to be pitted against someone else and that you might lose your rights to something. Hello there, I'm Brian Taylor. A very warm welcome to my latest Herald podcast. Now, as I mentioned last week, if you want to get all of the wonderful Herald uh, content across all the various platforms, the best way is to subscribe and you can get a a deal, a special deal, a special discount through the, mentioning this uh, this podcast. So that's Herald Pod 2021. Herald Pod 2021 is the code to use to get a discount on subscription. I would certainly recommend that very strongly. Now, this week on the podcast, on the program, the pandemic and politics, those plans for COVID passports in, in nightclubs and at big events, the continuing impact upon the NHS, and to discuss all that and perhaps a look at the, the gender recognition reform bill as well. I'm delighted to welcome a trio of MSPs, Jim Fairley from the SNP, Liz Smith from the Conservatives, and Pam Duncan Glancy from Labour. Welcome to you all. Thanks very much indeed for joining me. The issue of COVID passports, um, maybe go to Liz Smith first of all. The, the First Minister had qualms about it, to say the least, but she's now going ahead with it. It's the idea you'd have to show a um, proof of, of double vaccination if you're going into a nightclub or to large open events. The Conservatives are getting it, giving it a pretty hard time in questions, Liz, to the First Minister, but but isn't it happening south of the border under a Conservative government? I have to say I have uh, grave reservations about the idea of COVID passports um, as um, certainly on a permanent basis or anything that would be seen to be um, the sort of entry requirement to anything because I think it raises a whole lot of ethical issues Mm-hmm. And I think um, I, I only saw a little bit of the um, COVID committee this morning when John Swinney was taking questions from different panellists. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that some of this has not been thought through. There's lots of questions uh, that were raised about how it would be uh, organised. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, anybody who's wanting to uh, know that is left in a bit of a quandary. So I, I have lots of issues. But the other thing I would say, Brian, is that yeah. when it comes, and I speak with a bit of personal experience on this, when it comes to travelling abroad, what I do not have an issue with is that if you were to have uh, proof of a vaccine uh, for mm. travelling abroad, I can remember in 1995, I think it was when I went to the Himalayas, I had to have a piece of paper for yeah. the month that I was away saying I'd had a yellow fever inoculation. I think that's something that can be considered, um, but I have grave reservations about the rest. Well, but you, you say you've got reservations, but John Sweeney didn't say permanent. He just said he couldn't, you know, nobody could, could, could set a particular timetable upon it. And Downing Street have said in the last couple of days that the Prime Minister intends pretty well exactly this to happen south of the border. So I cannot understand the, the consistency of the Conservative approach there. And, well, I, I don't think there is a problem at all, uh, Brian. I think this is about understanding what is actually being proposed and ensuring, I mean, if, if, if you were to introduce it, and as I say, I have very grave concerns, and certainly my mailbag over the last uh, 24 hours... I can uh, believe it, yeah. yeah. I have to tell you, the vast majority of people have been very against this because they have fears about discrimination. They have uh-huh. fears that some people 
um, really wouldn't un- be able to understand what it was that they were supposed to be doing if they wanted to, you know, attend a nightclub or a big uh, football match and things. Uh-huh. And until and until that detail was provided, then I, I don't think we would be in a position to to make a judgment about it. Okay, so uh, Pam Duncan Glancy, what what do you make of the proposals uh, as they stand from the the First Minister and the Scottish Government? So I think we need to look really seriously at them. Um, what we've what we've seen is um, the vaccination programme and the vaccination itself, the development of the vaccination and the NHS staff who are delivering it has been an incredible feat for, for the country over the past year. And vaccination is clearly an incredibly important part of coming out of the pandemic. But what we don't know yet is the science around transmission and um, how, how much the, the vaccination will actually have an impact on transmission and uh-huh. what will help that. We also don't necessarily know how the government plans to, to implement this in detail. So I think there's something like 3 million COVID passports would need to be created over the next week. Uh, I just don't know how, how the government's going to do that. And I know that the staff that they might be relying on to do it are absolutely yeah. worst at the seams. And actually, okay. in, in addition to that, if, you, if I can just, just say, yeah, I'm, I'm, not actually, I'm not actually sure... Um, that it will help encourage vaccination either because what, what um, a few academics are saying now is that once you make something compulsory like that, you actually harden the people who were maybe on the fringe uh, getting a vaccination. They think, mm, well, I won't. Uh, and in actual fact, when you make it compulsory to enter some situations with a vaccine passport, uh-huh. those people tend to pull out. So what, what you do then have is the effects of, yes, maximum uptake happening faster, but that maximum itself becomes lower. And so yeah. that's how important for us to realise that. I also am seriously concerned about the inequalities in it. Okay, on, on the science, Jason Leach said at the committee this morning that, that, that it was emerging that vaccination undoubtedly w- w- protected people from the worst excesses of the disease, but it also lessened the prospect, and he said, said it did not exclude it, but lessened the prospect of transmission, although there was a, 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 it wasn't so good with the, the, the Delta variant. But, but John Swinney also said, you know, basically, he, Mr. Swinney said that if the sort of case numbers that we have at the moment had happened in January, when the, the vaccination was not so far advanced, Basically, they would have had to go ahead with huge restrictions, and I think we heard Nicola Sturgeon saying, in effect, that, that I, you know, either the nightclubs uh, take this system, and John Sweeney said this as well, or they face tight constraints and possibly even closure. So there's a, there's a, it is about trying to push vaccination. Don't you accept, Pam, that that's that that's merited, that that's worth trying? Well, vaccination and, and increasing uptake on the vaccination is really, really important. I think everyone should, when they're offered, take the vaccine because uh-huh. because of exactly what you've just said about the, the benefits of doing it. My concern is that the, in, in making it compulsory to get into certain circumstances, okay. and I'm a bit unclear about why those specific circumstances and not others as well. So I think the First Minister and, and uh, the, the government will need to, to think about that. But it's not that... Getting a vaccine's um, not important. Of course it is, and telling people or asking people to, to get it when they're asked um, is is what we should be doing. The problem is the people who were unsure about getting the vaccination aren't uh, encouraged to do so with okay. making it compulsory to get in somewhere, and so we point. might actually be pushing people further away. I take your point, Jim Fairley. What? What? what Jim, Jim Fairley. First of all, I'll come back. Come to you in a second, Liz. Jim Fairley. Well, there's a lot of stuff to unpick here, Brian. I was actually on the um, on the, the COVID recovery committee you, you myself. You are indeed, yeah. And it was, um, I absolutely concur with both what Liz and Pam are, are saying and that my own email bag last night was absolutely chock-a-full of mm. people absolutely furious that this is being imposed. But it hasn't been imposed yet. 
The Parliament will decide whether or not we actually go ahead with this and the plans will be brought to the Parliament next week to be debated. What John Swinney also said this morning um, was that he's met with 150 business leaders already mm-hmm. and he started to outline how they're going to put this in place. And Michael Fraser raised some very valid points this morning saying, you know, how is this going to work? Where, where is it coming from? Um, and ju- the, the government are working with industry right now in order to be able to put the, the, the process in place and make it effective. Because at the end of the day, We've got to try and take the politics out of this particular issue because it's a global pandemic. Every single one of us is in danger from it and we've got to get the politics out of it. And uh, I, Jim, 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 I, I, I didn't hear either Liz or Pam mention no, politics. I, 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 have them, I have them mention pragmatic problems and, and wanting, wanting the detail. Right. Bear with me. I was about to say, and I, commended my, and I commend okay, my fellow committee members this morning, for looking for practical answers to to what is that is going to be a big issue, but it, the the point that Liz made earlier on about uh, the permanency of it, it was actually yeah. myself that asked the deputy minister that yeah. question because everybody has got concerns about their, their civil liberties being imposed upon and all the rest of it. Uh-huh. But the reality is, if we don't get this endemic problem, which it now is, Jason, I asked Jason Leach that question this morning, are we now looking at um, uh, a community, uh, we're suppressing it as much as we can, but we're living with it, so therefore it's endemic. So are we looking at a permanent um, uh, COVID passport being yeah. used now, we can't give an, the government can't give an answer to that because we don't yeah. know how long this this virus is going to be circulating or how long it's going to be as dangerous as it is. What he also pointed out is that the Delta variant is incredibly difficult to control. Yeah. Resistant and to I was control. Also yeah. sitting in the COVID recovery committee last week, and Debbie Shida was one of the witnesses, and she said, "You can now be walking past someone." That's how quickly you can get infected with this wow. disease. So we've wow. got to get it under control. But we don't want to shut down the economy. We don't want to yeah. shut down people's natural way of living civil liberties. Thanks, Jim. I'll come back to you in a minute. Liz Smith, you were keen to come in. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with uh, quite a lot of what Jim's saying there. I, I mean, I think the issues are, particularly if I read the public mood correctly, I think there are a huge number of people who are very concerned about this um, mm. coming coming down. And you're quite right, Jim, it has to be voted on yet. And we're being implored upon not to vote for it because it's seen to be an infringement of human rights, all sorts of different things. But w- what I'm concerned about, certainly from the discussions that took place that I managed to uh, hear this morning, is that there are inconsistencies in this. For example, I've had somebody uh, come in to me just uh, a little while ago saying that, you know, they've had vaccinations uh, uh, in England, that's not being transferred into Scotland. Uh, and yeah. how, how, how do they um, sort of make the two systems compatible? What would they didn't, do? Didn't, didn't the First Minister promise to try and, uh, you know, iron out these anomalies and other ones? You know, she being, did in an answer those, to those uh, uh, yeah. my colleague yeah. Douglas Thompson, I think it was, yeah. who asked it. I think yeah. he's been part of the trial. Yeah. And he, because of being part of that trial, and I think there's quite a lot of people who are in part of the trial, he's not been able to get his uh, certificate and the QR code that goes with it. So I think it's the practicalities of it as well. But underlying all this, Brian, I think there are some uh, serious ethical issues. Um, uh-huh. Pam mentioned about some of the equalities issues. And you know, I, yes. I think that, that's what we need to deal with if we're going to answer this 
uh, sensibly and allay an awful lot of the public mood. So that's why at the moment I have grave concerns about uh, a vaccine passport system. Pam, do you see it going ahead or do you see it being blocked or do you see the Greens, for example, demanding assurances? Because of course, at least partly in, 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 in government, they have two ministers, the Greens demanding assurances, you're demanding assurances, you know, everyone's looking for assurances. Do you see this going ahead next week or do you see it being thwarted? I think it will really depend on what, whether the government are, are genuinely serious about con, about addressing some of the concerns that we've raised mm -hmm. and the, the, as you put it, Brian, and some of the pragmatic concerns that we've raised. I also think that we need to... And, and nobody wants a politician to come into something like a pandemic or, or public health and, and make it about politics because um, people find that really difficult. But I also don't think that we can avoid the issue of some of the decisions that need to be taken in order to help us through this are political decisions. So it's about what are you going to put your money into? What are you going to spend your time on? And I just wonder if we should be really seriously focusing on test and protect as a system, as something that is there and able to identify contacts when, when they're made and people who have the virus and quickly suppress it and ask people to isolate. And I think if we could get that much in a much stronger position because we know that they're they're only reaching about 46 between 43 and 46 percent of contact mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so if you could get that work functioning properly then you've got the burden of responsibility there becomes on the the systems around us rather than individuals and i think that's actually quite important i also think that we need to ask serious questions about whether or not people in in different groups um, and in different areas are going to be affected by um, by the, the COVID vaccine. We know that um, a lot of people have been able to access the vaccine, but some people still haven't. And they might, I'm, I'm yes. really to hear that there will be exemptions. Cause, and that's, uh, if this does go ahead, then that's a sensible approach because we, we need to have that. <laughs> it's important that we don't um, fall into the trap where we actually then get in a situation where we're deepening further health inequalities that exist as well. I, so, I, I understand that. I understand that. I understand that. I hear what you say about test and protect. But if the if the vaccination is seen to be ultimately the, the solution, it's not going to completely eliminate the virus that is now being accepted explicitly by John Swinney, Swinney at the committee this morning. And what I thought was quite a remarkable statement as well. The effort now was to turn it from a pandemic into an endemic uh, approach, as Jason Leach described. But if the vaccination is the approach and in the 18 to 40 group there is resistance or there is there, there are there are a, a substantial number who are not taking the vaccine isn't it incumbent upon the Scottish government to do everything they can to push the vaccine uh, while you know perhaps pursuing the, the other areas like test and protect as well absolutely and I will obviously um, I hope it's always to, to see that I will support the government in all that they do to increase uptake of the vaccine um, it's, it's an incredible feat of um, medical and science um, in, in, in our time, it's probably one of the most important ones of, of our time. But I don't think you do that by by saying to people, it, you can only get into this uh, this situation or be in this yeah. place if you get vaccinated. And yeah. in fact, what I, I started earlier on talking about yeah. the the fact that it, that it actually pushes sceptics further away from being like yeah. the vaccination. I understand so that. If, if the aim is to get vaccine uptake, increase, then we need to have more mobile mobile vaccination centres. We need to okay. go to where people are and offer them the, the vaccines. But, oh, but Jim Fairley, you were anxious to come in. There, there are three things that I want to pick up here, Brian. Um, what Pam has just said is, I, I take on board the, the, the value of what she's saying in terms of test and protect. But if we're also talking about uh, people who are resistant to getting the vaccine, uh, are they going to get themselves tested? Are they going to choose to get themselves tested? Now, please don't take this as a crass analogy. As a livestock farmer, if you've got a virus in amongst your stock, 
really difficult to pick out the ones that's got it, particularly when they're asymptomatic and they don't show it. So if people aren't prepared to get vaccinated, are they going to be prepared to get tested? If they're not prepared to get tested, they could be asymptomatic and still moving about in the community. And the age group that we're talking about, that 18 to 40, and I raised this point in the committee this morning as well, Perhaps we should be better at messaging. We've possibly not gotten enough information out there to, to encourage young people. Because one of the other things that Jason Leach talked about this morning was yeah. the, the ability of the, 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 um, the vaccine to be able to uh, prevent young people getting long COVID. And yeah. that to me is a really fundamental thing. Long COVID is the thing that is really going to affect young people if they yeah. get infected with this disease so we've got to get that message to them but, but, you know, Jim, I'll bring you Jim, in a second but Jim, Jim, Jim can I just come back on one of the points that, that yeah, Jim very, very briefly if you would please uh, if, if someone's sceptical to the vaccine are they possibly also unlikely to get tested I'm not sure that I think that's the case I think most people want to do the right thing and so it's People will say, I don't necessarily believe that I want to take the vaccination, but I don't think that they're the end thing. I don't want to test myself in case I'm infectious. I think those are two very different arguments. So I'm okay. not sure that I would agree that because they don't want the vaccine, they'll also not get tested. Jim, can you explain to me, the, 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 again, the pragmatism of this? You know, it's it's midnight in Sucky Hall Street or, or, or Lothian Road or, or wherever, and the, uh, a guy is deciding whether to admit some people into a, into a nightclub. Is he really going to say, show me your vaccination papers or show me your... Your, your 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 online vaccination or if you're standing outside a, a potentially huge crowd going into uh, one of the football grounds that would fall under the ambit of this that's going to be a tough call and is it not a, a very very tough ask indeed to start um, demanding the production of papers before they get admitted well first thing my understanding is it won't be papers it'll be a QR no, it'll be, be online yeah or, or a phone QR. App, yeah. and yeah. Brian I absolutely get it this is not easy. It's okay. difficult. It's a really yeah. hard position that every one of us are in. And yeah. we have to hope that people take that societal view, I'm going to do my bit. So, okay, Pam, I'll, I'll take your argument that um, perhaps people will get tested, but they may not necessarily want the vaccine. But there's, there's three, the point I was going to make, I, I see three people who are resistant to the vaccine. There are those who are genuinely concerned about what the possible after effects yeah. are. There yeah. are those who believe there's a conspiracy theory. And I, and I yeah. don't say that lightly. A lot of the evidence that we've been listening to in the committee that I'm on is about this misinformation that's going through, particularly yeah. through social media. So there are that uh, element. And there are also the young ones, and I made this point in the, in the committee this morning as well. If you're 18, you think you're invincible. If you're 18, <laughs> nothing's going to touch you. So why bother? It doesn't bother me. It's not my. It's, it's not my problem. You've got a different perspective at 18 and 19 than you have when you're 51 and 52. Okay. And Jason okay. Leach made that point very clearly to me this indeed, morning. Indeed. My voice, you know, isn't going to work. So they've been doing a good marketing campaign to the young people on TikTok and on the social Targeted, media. Yeah. Yeah. On. yeah. So it's, I get that this is hard. I get it is difficult. But I also think that. We do this, or it's going to be worse. 
Let, let's, let, let's, what about that point? You, you do this or it's going to be worse. And I, I remind you again that the UK Conservative government is proposing exact, well, something comparable. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not quite exactly the same, but okay. it's, it's, the, it's the principle, uh, Brian, about what it is that we are, or the Scottish government or Parliament is proposing. So what's to wrong with the Scottish it, system that isn't wrong with the UK one? What's because wrong? It, what's it, because it, hasn't been, it hasn't been explained in the detail. Okay. I think um, Jim's committee was at, and, and he raised a very interesting point just when he uh, spoke in his last answer, is that you know if this is not all going to be about paper, but about online, there are many people in our um, you know in our constituencies who are not online, um, yeah. who don't have their app on a phone. Um, you know what are they going to be asked to do? They might not be the people who are attending night but you know I, I think this is where some of the inequalities could come in, okay. uh, and that oh. can be very difficult. Okay, a good discussion, folks. I'm going to move us on to a topic that, that arises again from, from this, this hideous plague, this dreadful pandemic, and that's the question of health waiting lists, the impact upon the NHS while it's trying to cope with the pandemic. It's the, the, the numbers who are waiting for other forms of treatment are rising. Pam Duncan Glancy, that's something that Labour pursued at, at, at questions to the First Minister, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, 600,000 people are on waiting lists and that, you know, that in the, in the middle of a pandemic is, is dreadful, but 450,000 of them were on um, on waiting lists before the pandemic. And I think what, what we're seeing now is a real, real crisis in the NHS. Staff are burning out and patients are not getting the treatment that they need at the time, in the timescale they need it. I know someone who's 23 years old, she's waiting for a hip replacement, she's being told that it could be something like two years. There was someone suggested a few weeks ago to me that it could take it could take anything up to five years plus an additional 120% capacity in the system to get back to orthopedics, um, orthopedic operations in the way that we were before. And I, have, I know we've heard a lot during the pandemic about not putting pressure and overwhelming the NHS. And that's, of course, really, really important. Before I was elected, I worked in the NHS. Um, and I saw the, the, the hard work that all the staff who worked there were doing day in, day out. They're, they are shattered. But... But the, the NHS was was crumbling um, before it. You know, we were in a situation where waiting lists were, as I said, four hundred and fifty thousand people were on waiting lists. We we still had a situation where nurses um, were, felt they weren't getting um, a good pay deal, and the numbers um, the numbers of people waiting for cancer um, support um, was was just increasing, and targets were being missed. Mm -hmm. So we really need to look at our NHS and the point at which we tip the NHS into overcapacity changes on the basis of how much capacity it has in the first place and that's what I think we should be now asking questions of the government. Okay, Jim Fairley. Yeah, the, the, listen, the, the NHS is under immense strain and, and we're well aware of that and I've seen, uh, we all do it and, and it, it sometimes may come across as a platitude, it's certainly not. The, the NHS staff have to be absolutely thanked from the bottom of their hearts. Um, the, wait, the waiting list that, that Pam Duncan Glancy is talking about there prior to the COVID pandemic, what we also have to uh, remember is, and this is what First Minister said in, in um, First Minister's questions today. Parliament, yeah. Yeah, we've, we've set a much higher bar for what the waiting list target should be, but there's a changing demographic in Scotland across the entire world because we're getting, we're living longer, which is a great thing. With age comes problems, as I physically know That's myself. not new, Jim. That's not new. We've been talking about an age yeah, we're, living, we're living a lot longer. We're living a lot longer and we're developing far more chronic diseases as we get older. It's, we have an aging population. We, we are living far longer and expected to work far longer as well. But we're still in the middle of a, of a, of a global pandemic. The, the, the waiting list 
I've got things I need to go and see the hospital about myself. My dad's in exactly the same position. It's hard. It's a difficult time. And uh-huh. the, the, the Scottish government are doing everything that they possibly can. They're putting the maximum amount of investment they're put, that, the, that has ever been put into the NHS. Well, given the, the biggest pay rise the NHS has ever had since devolution, we are working incredibly hard to try and ease the burden so that we don't have people who are already under enormous strain getting put under more strain. The, the investment in the elective uh, surgeries that are, that are being rolled mm-hmm. out across the country will be huge in terms of what they're, they're going to do to, to help in the NHS. But there's absolutely no denying that there are huge challenges ahead of us. And it's been exacerbated uh, enormously by the fact that we're still not out of this pandemic. OK, just say to the audience, if you want to put in questions or points on this, we'll be discussing gender recognition in, in, in a wee while as well, looking for your points on that. But meanwhile, I'll bring in Liz Smith. Liz, what, what do you make about this? I mean, the, the, the point made by Labour was that the, 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 the Nicola Sturgeon herself described waiting lists of, of, of 83,000 in 2003 as being humiliation for the then government, Labour Liberal Democrat, the figure, of course, now being uh, rather higher than that. Yeah, well, I completely agree with what Pam said about the waiting list scenario was there before COVID. Um, and it is disgraceful. No, no shortage of um, you know concern over that. It has been exacerbated. There are people who are now uh, very anxious about uh, a attending an appointment in a hospital, or some people mm-hmm. have put it off because they just don't yes. want to go. What, yeah. what, really, what I'm really concerned about, Brian, is is the mental health issue as well. Okay. And, and and these are not just people who are going to refer themselves on mental health. I, I think there's an, a huge number of uh, younger people who have suffered hugely because of the pandemic, um, uh, particularly on educational issues and just the aspiration of what they want to do once they leave school, go college and into the world of work, university, whatever it might be. There's an awful lot of people there who feel, um, you know, very anxious about their future and not quite knowing what to do. And I think that's the worry that I have about the younger generation having to face up to the future. And that's where I think a lot of the resources uh, have to go. But I just finish on one point. Yes, uh, during, the first, during the first wave, uh, I was struck um, enormously by the fact that in our hospitals, when the emergency situation in our wards was left to uh, nurses and doctors, i.e. the clinicians, they coped remarkably quickly with very serious number of cases and it, the decision making was left to them rather than to many people uh, around the sort of administration of the health service. And I think that's a lesson about what we want to get out of our health service in the years ahead is that the people who make the best decisions are the ones who are actually closest to what happens on the ground. And I think that's, mm. a, that's a lesson for us all. So w- would you sack the managers in that case? Well, I've always thought for quite a long time that I think there are there are too many managers in the NHS. And I certainly don't think I'm alone in thinking that. Um, I, absolutely, there is a need for some, but the best people in our in our health services are the doctors and nurses on the ground, and they want to get on with their jobs uh, in the way because they're the ones that have the professional training to do that. Mm-hmm. And I was very struck, and I, this, I, I based my comments on places like PRI about the Victoria Hospital in Kirkcaldy, uh-huh. um, where I, I felt that the um, the decision making at a critical time when you know ambulances were queuing up with very seriously ill patients. Uh, that that was impressive uh, that they managed to cope with that. Mm. Pam, how do we get a way out of this? Because some would say that you can spend endless resources upon the NHS and basically it it, it expands to to, to the the demand available. I think you need to work with patients and you need to work with the people who are working in the service. 
Um, I don't think it is enough just to, to give people, for example, a £500 thank you payment. Mm. Um, I also don't actually think, and I take Jim's point about the investment and the additional um, the, the additional pay um, increase, but actually you're still seeing a situation where nurses and doctors and other staff across the NHS are working their fingernails to the bone. They're absolutely mm. shattered. And the COVID recovery, the NHS recovery plan to yeah. help bring, bring us out of this and bring them out of it has been described by them as woeful and completely inadequate and unrealistic. Nicola Sturgeon Sturgeon says in response to that that recovery plan is substantial, was worked on for months. She also says there's a a pay rise being offered to to nursing staff in Scotland that is above anything being offered elsewhere. And she also says that the Scottish Government are preparing to implement a national care plan that might hopefully, hopefully, hopefully uh, relieve some of the burden upon the NHS by addressing the care question. Yeah, and that will remain to be seen. Um, and, And the First Minister always talks about how good her plans and strategies are, but actually putting them into action is where it all falls down and that's why this government are consistently missing targets including in the NHS the relationship between the NHS and the National Care Service is really really important actually so you've got a really good point there Um, and in actual fact I think we need to look seriously at the way that we value people who work in the care sector in the same way that people who work in the NHS so for example that's why we have been campaigning for and the GMB and other trade unions are really um, focusing on £15 an hour for carers and we heard this week in Parliament that we're not sure if that's actually going to be something that the government and the Greens are going to stick to. That's really important. The other thing about the National Care Service that's going to be um, one to watch, I'd say, is around how it treats unpaid carers. Um, During the pandemic, we we heard this morning, I had my first social security committee meeting where I was able to ask the minister questions and I can't tell you how long I've waited for that opportunity, Brian. (laughs) Um, and I, I, I took the most of it uh, as I did my best there. But one of the things that we heard this morning is that carers, unpaid carers, have been working absolute round the clock. 77% of them said they've not had a break in the last year. And the, the COVID, the, the NHS, sorry, recovery plan doesn't actually address the, the needs of, that they have. And I think if we don't get the National Care Service right, then we're just going to be relying more and more on unpaid carers who are going to be more and more um, running to the ground. And the final point on the National Care Service, and then I'll stop, is that we also need to make sure that it is free at the point of delivery because it is pushing people into poverty. Um, And thousands and thousands of disabled and older people who use care services are ending up in debt and are having to pay thousands of pounds to um, to get out of it. And that's despite the fact that the Scottish Government say that personal care is free at the point of delivery delivery for everyone um, and so people with bills of, of thousands of pounds and more. Thanks for that, Pam. Jim Fairley, final word before we move on to gender recognition. Do you see those figures, those waiting list figures, which you would accept are are, 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 are dreadful and, and the First Minister accepts are, are, are unacceptable? Do you see those being brought down at any point soon? Presumably it's dependent upon the progress on the pandemic. Well, you've literally just hit the nail on the head, Brian. If, um, again, I, I come back to my experience as a, as a livestock farmer. This disease isn't going to tell us what it's going to do next. It's not going to give us a roadmap of where it's going to go. We've no idea how this thing is going to react. We don't know what the next variant is going to be. We simply yeah. don't know because the, the virus will decide how it's going to behave. Um, but I, I would like to come back to a, a, a point that Liz made, um, that, uh, that the people on the ground working made fantastic decisions. The one thing I would say that might come out positive of the, the, the pandemic is that it allows us to have a complete review of everything 
that we've been doing because there are stuff that is happening. I, I mentioned this um, in the chamber during the week. Um, the way local groups and communities pool together and work together to make mm -hmm. things happen without the some of the levels of bureaucracy that they would have to go through in order to get things done has been fantastic. Um, uh, uh, groups that Liz will be well aware of, Letham for All, North Mutant Net, the Tawak Net, those community groups worked together, pulled together and did things. And that social cohesion, that okay. social coming together has been a, a positive and it's something that we should really try and tap into. Um, and whether it's in volunteer groups like that or across the NHS or across any other part of, of our lives, we should be looking at it and thinking, how can we do this better? Now is the time to actually think, how can we do things differently okay. now that we'll see a different way of doing things? Thanks, all three. Thanks very much for that uh, joining that discussion. I'm going to move finally on to, to, to gender recognition. I, I was in Parliament today. I was um, broadcasting with the the my, my former employer, the BBC, a programme I used to present for many years of uh, questions to the First Minister. I was on as a guest, which was, was a, a, a joyous thing to do. But as I went in, very large demonstration outside, banners up, being held up saying women won't wished and all that sort of thing and uh, 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 very active speeches and another um, uh, demonstration off to, to the side, a kind of counter demonstration, those supporting uh, uh, from, from the, the reading of it, trans, trans rights. Now, this, of course, is all about the gender recognition, uh, draft gender recognition reform bill. We learned today that although work has been paused on that because of the pandemic, it's now resumed and the Scottish government published an analysis of responses. I, I guess it found the public divided. It said there was a slight uh, majority in, of, of groups in, in favour of, of, of going ahead, but uh, around four in 10 organisations were, were against it. One in 10 either didn't take a view or the view was was not clear. So, And the one I, 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 that I noted was that they said that um, it found that the, the most respondents held strong views in favour or against plans for legal gender recognition reform. Well, those strong views were very, very much to the fore in those demonstrations outside. Ms. Smith, remind us what this is all about. The, what, what is the bill in, involving and why is there such um, concern from sections of the populace? Well, can I first of all begin by saying that I think everybody should be whoever they want to be. I think that's a critical uh, human right and that's fundamental to uh, the way that we live in modern society. Having said that, there are huge issues and they are very sensitive and they are very controversial and they're also very complex. Uh, I sat in the debate um, just before the last session of Parliament ended where it was one of Parliament's better debates, I have to say, mm -hmm. um, but it was certainly uh, feisty and uh, pretty yeah. fiery at times. Um, and it, it, it threw up the fact that there are very strong opinions on both sides and the, the safety of uh, women uh, was, was one of the key issues. And that's, uh, as I understand it, why some uh, quite a large number of women were demonstrating uh, outside Parliament yes. today. And that's important. And um, I was interested in what you said there just now, uh, Brian, about the bill uh, coming back on the, um, in the discussion. Basis well, work, work is now resuming, yeah, which I thought yes, was quite work is now resuming. But, you know, again, I go back to my mailbag, which I is, is, the, is the critical thing by which I judge uh, public <laughs> opinion. I, I think uh, there is no question that the views on either side are extremely strong, um, maybe a bit too strong at times, uh, where, you know, it's led into... You know, very difficult conversations and abuse, and things, mm. and that is completely unacceptable. Indeed. And I think you know, tolerance has to be at the, the heart of this. 
Um, but in my own uh, mailbag, I think it's uh, maybe about a sort of, if I had to guess, probably about a 60-40 divide, um, not in favour uh, of the Against, proposed yeah. changes. Uh-huh. But there's a very strong uh, number uh, that clearly are. And I think as Parliament, I always think this Parliament, I've been in this Parliament for 15 years now, I always think this Parliament is at its best when it deals with some of the most controversial and difficult issues, whether that's uh, to do with assisted uh, suicide and uh, abortion, all all sorts of things. And the the debate that we had, uh, I think it was in June, um, was actually one of the better ones. But my goodness, uh, this is a a morass of very difficult and complex debate to be had. And uh, I think we have to be very tolerant and understanding and empathetic about how we uh, go forward in the future. Pam, Pam, what's the concern of women's groups and what's the concern of, of those uh, representing a trans perspective? So I'm, I'm really pleased that the government have said that they're going to bring this soon because one of the reasons I think that we do have such polarised views on this is because of the length of time it has taken for the government to consult and then bring the bill. Interesting. Um, and that has allowed a vacuum in which the debate has become pretty toxic, if I'm honest, on both sides. And yeah. um, I, I think that this is a matter of human rights. Um, it's a very much a matter of women's rights, and that includes trans women's rights. Um, trans people need reform of the GRA, and they need reform of the GRA very, very quickly. They need it That's to, to enable what? To enable self-identification? Would you would you believe that is the route to go? So at the at the minute, the, the process is so over medicalised and invasive yes. that it is stressful. It causes people harm, and it is breaching their human rights. And that's been recognised yeah. by various international um, health bodies, and including the Council of Europe. And they've okay. said that you know, there's there's nothing in particular, and um, there's no medical test that can tell whether or, or not um, someone someone needs um, gender identity change. So actually, you okay. really just need to be talking to people and individuals. This is fundamentally about people's human rights, and we need to reform the act soon. Do, do you think the reform is necessary? Do, do you, you, I hear you saying that you, 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 you back women's rights, but do, are you saying that the arguments against this bill have been misexpressed or perhaps misunderstood? I think people are frightened. It's natural okay. when you come from a group, when you come from a, an oppressed group, um, as a woman, as a disabled woman, and for trans people, trans women, it's always worrying when you think that your rights are going to be pitted against someone else and that you might lose your rights to something. Interesting. But Interesting. Actually, that, that's not what this is about. This is about opening up human rights to a group of people who are fundamentally being really badly let down right now by the, by the legislation that currently exists. It isn't a risk to women's rights and it isn't a risk to other okay. people's rights. Okay. But I can okay. understand as someone who's faced a lot of oppression and discrimination in my time, I can see why people are frightened, but I think we need to take an objective and very serious look at what the Act is suggesting and what it's not suggesting. So it's not suggesting anything around the Equality Act um, in terms of taking rights away from people already. This is about giving people more rights and allowing people the space to be who they are and taking away the ridiculous bureaucracy and over-medicalised process in which they need to be used to Jim Jim Fairley, what do you make of, of, of this argument? Where do you stand? I've got to be honest, Brian, that this is one of those uh, subjects that I have very occasionally dipped into to try and find out a little bit more about it. Mm-hmm. And the sheer taste of the toxicity of the entire debate has made me go, oh, hold on a second. Back off. Yeah. The parliamentarian, I will, not, I will now have to properly look at this. Um, you, this you will indeed. You'll, you'll have to vote on this bill when it, when it comes yeah, to, I, to, to a vote, I, if it comes to a vote. Yeah. To, to absolutely do that. Um, as a, a father of two daughters and a, a, a husband of a, 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 a woman, 
I want to make sure that those rights are absolutely protected. And I'm told on the one side that female rights, women's rights have been taken away. I'm told on the other side that it's transphobic to say that these rights have been taken away. And right now, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't understand a lot of it. I've tried to look into it. I've tried to get some of the terminology, um, but it is unbelievably abusive. It's unbelievably toxic. And what I need as a white middle-aged middle-class man is for somebody to sit me down and say, okay, these, these are the, these are the facts. This is what we're trying to do. And this is the end result that we're trying to achieve. And Liz has been in, in the parliament for 15 years. I've been in it for five minutes. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing this level of debate where we can actually have these discussions. Um, but it's, it's, I remember watching a program. In fact, you might have been chairing it, Brian, but it was a young lad saying, I can't talk about racism. I don't have the issues of colored people. I can't talk about sexism because I am a, a, a male and I, I don't know what it's like to live a, a female life's uh, female experience. So I can't put the, the way I would normally try to approach things is how would I feel about that? Uh-huh. I find it really difficult to put myself in, in this argument. So I'm going to have to try and get the, the facts, take some of the heat out of the debate and look at uh-huh. it with a, a, an open mind and come to a clear decision once the government bring back the, the, the proposal and, and exactly what the proposal says. Thanks for that. Liz, could, could you help Jim Fairley in this, this uh, puzzlement and, and disquiet that he has on this topic? I'm not sure I I can in many ways because I think this is going to be a very uh, personal uh, issue for many people and I I think that's the the, the strong impression I've got from anybody who's written into me uh, on this and there's a lot lot of them. I've had a lot of uh, submissions and emails uh, from people and and I fully understand where many groups are coming from on this and that's why I'm saying that I think we have to uh, ensure that this debate is on the the right level of um, tolerance and understanding and empathy and recognising that the the duty that we're going to have, and it is a duty to uh-huh. vote on this, we, we have to be well informed as individuals as to uh, what the uh, right decision will be. And, you know, you're not, you're not a parliamentarian or shouldn't be a parliamentarian unless you're prepared to do that. To, to, to um, come down on one side or t'other, yeah, because you're, you're going to have to. You, you understand the fear, the fear that Pam is, is expressing there. Do you understand also that? I mean, that, that the argument I hear from some privately from some some supporters of change is that that in in ten years' time uh, the, this change will have been made and folk will wonder what all the fuss was about. In other words, they they will say that 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 it, this was a, a a wrong that needed to be to be righted. The the argument I hear from the other side is is that those who advocate trans rights are not understanding the concerns and anxieties that that there are among among women's organisations. Yeah, I, I think you know that, that there are. What I find interesting about this debate is that on on a on a theoretical level. It's quite easy, actually, to agree with many of the groups that are involved in this whole debate. When it comes to in practice, and yeah. if you give if you give people more rights, do you actually end up taking away some rights? And that that's where I think, for me, as I stand just now, I'm interested, and I do have concerns about. So, so, so to be clear, to be clear, Liz, right now, yeah. you you would be opposed to the bill. You'd be opposed to. I'm, the changes I'm, I'm nervous. I'll be quite honest. I'm nervous about this bill. Very okay. nervous about this bill. But as always, I have a parliamentary duty to listen to all the evidence, which is what I will do. Um, 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 but I am nervous about it just now. Pam. 
I absolutely support it. I think the Gender Recognition Act is out of date. It's, it medicalises people's lifestyle, um, life. It, med- it medicalises it. It's invasive, um, and it, it means that people are not able to easily be the people who they want to be. I understand, as I said earlier, Brian. I do understand mm-hmm. that, that people are frightened that giving up some people rights is taking away theirs. But actually, yes. that's not what this is about. This is about. They, they, so I, wanted, when I, I had I had the demo, and some of them were expressing it was almost as if space was being taken away. Space was. Their their space, their private space as as a woman was being was being invaded to some extent. I'm st- I stress that that's the argument I had uh, yeah. made at the demonstration by some speakers. And and actually, what what that is, I think, is a misrepresentation or misunderstanding of what the Gender Reform Act is looking okay. to do. So the, the legislation around spaces and single sex spaces sits within the Equality Act, not the Gender Recognition Act. So the Gender uh-huh. Recognition Act and reform to the Gender Recognition Act is about getting a gender recognition certificate and making that process much, much easier for the uh-huh. thousands, hundreds um, of, of, of thousands of people who, who really um, need to get that. And so I think if people maybe stop and think very carefully about the proposal in front of them, it's not about single sex spaces. It's, and there's debates around that to be had, incidentally, but that's not what's in this act that's coming before the parliament. Interesting, interesting. Uh, Liz, would that, would that, I'll bring Jim in, in a second for a, for a final word. Liz, would, 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 does that sway you a little bit or are you, you still... Yeah, still, no, I'm still, uh, I'm still nervous. I, I, respect, I respect Pam's uh, views and uh, they're, they're very similar to many other constituents who've been in touch, but I, I am listening uh, to other concerns and as I say, it's, it's about whether any changes would have detrimental effects on other people's uh, freedoms and rights. And, and that's where I think we have to be cautious. Please, Pam, yes, carry on, please, please. Um, and and I, you know, I really, one of the things I'm enjoying about this conversation is that we're actually having um, a really good discussion around it where everyone is taking quite a, a, a kind of compassionate approach, actually, and we're listening to one another. And I hope that the tenor of the debate going forward is like this. It goes in the same nature, I, yeah. I, I genuinely do not think that there is anything in this particular act that takes rights away from anyone else. Okay. But what will happen if we don't take action on the Gender Recognition Act, people who have a human right to be who they want to be aren't able to do it and aren't able to get that and um, get the support that they need to do it. Um, just now, only one in 10 trans people go um, to get a, a gender recognition certificate yeah. because it's so invasive, because it has such a horrible impact on their mental health and Jim. because it's so difficult to get. So this is about giving other people, people, human rights, not taken any way. Liz, uh, Pam, Liz and Jim, a final word from you. Are, 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 are you going to have to come down on a side. Are, are you veering towards one particular side or other or do you still want to hear a bit more info? Well, the demonstration outside was called Women Won't Quished, and neither yeah. should. Yeah. And on the other side, you've got people whose human rights are being um, uh, suppressed, according to what Pam's telling me. And yeah. I will look very, very carefully at this uh, and make a decision when the time comes. But it is an, an incredibly difficult um, subject to be talking about. Um, but that's our job, and we'll have to do it just very shortly. Uh, Jim, uh, Liz, Pam, thank you very much indeed for joining me and what I thought was an absolutely excellent discussion of that and the the topics that we di- we discussed earlier. And, and, and Pam, you, you you hit the nail on the head with regard to this program is to try and get that sort of um, you know maybe wider range discussion that isn't possible in, in 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 shorter form. Thanks, thanks all very very much indeed, and thanks to all of you for for tuning in and, and, for, and for listening. Remember that offer of, of a twenty percent discount with the the, the the with the herald, you know, and and uh, please please uh, join me. For, 
for further podcasts. Watch out for my column. Watch out for all the wonderful Herald uh, output from me, Brian Taylor. Toodle the new. This podcast was brought to you by The Herald. Take 20% off an annual subscription to The Herald with our exclusive podcast code. Just add HeraldPod2021 to your basket and get instant, unfiltered access to our website. And you can also get involved with the Brian Taylor podcast as well. Tune in on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube every Thursday afternoon to catch Brian and his panel chat live and ask your questions to the people across the political scene. Thank you.